Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency for the New Spectator USA website. I'm joined today by Daniel McCarthy, who is editor of Modern Age and a Spectator USA columnist. And we're going to be asking, what is the future of American conservatism? Now, Dan, I should say, first of all, for our listeners, you are speaking live from a hotel in Alexandria, but you are, the, in my mind, the, the ultimate authority on this. So um, I'm very glad we've got you on. Oh, thanks, Freddie. I, I, I think for our British listeners and probably for quite a few of our American ones, too, it's worth sort of starting out why, why we're having this, spelling out why we're having this conversation, because uh, a couple of weeks ago, Sora Bamari wrote uh, an article in First Things, attacking another American writer called David French, essentially for, I mean, as David French would put it, for, for being sort of too, too civilised and meek in the, in the culture war, I suppose it is, and the political war against liberalism. Uh, and David French has replied, and for a certain section of Twitter, this has become an incredibly important fight. To my rather cynical mind, it, it, it's perhaps a little too arcane, but I think what it boils down to is, coming up to 2020, how fully on board with Trump should conservatives be? And that, that is probably the, a real tension between French and Amari. And it speaks to a larger question of where is conservatism going? Is is the conservatism that sustained, got Bush elected, is it finished? Is the conservative post-war conservative movement over? Are we now entering into a new nationalist and more um, robust form of conservatism? Is, it, it, am I making a fair summary of this at all? You really are. And in fact, uh, I think that's exactly right. The uh, Sora Bamari david French argument is not on the surface about Donald Trump, but in fact, it is kind of a proxy war for uh, conservative attitudes towards Trump. And it's it has that political dimension, and it also has a philosophical dimension, where Sorab Amari sees American Christians as being very much under siege, under constant attack by uh, the mainstream culture and by, you know, sort of left-wing uh, legal assaults. And uh, David French, you know, thinks that um, a kind of negotiated peace is still possible, whereas Sorab Amari is uh, sort of ready to take to the hills and, uh, you know, sort of um, stockpile his uh, munitions. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, I mean, this did actually start about a drag queen. Was it about a drag kid? I mean, Amari was upset because what he saw as a lacklustre conservative response to a story about, was it a drag queen library reading or was it, it's always some sort of drag queen story that starts these fights? That's right. Yeah, there was a, uh, going to be a drag queen reading, you know, books to children at a public library. And Amari, you know, said this was uh, quite a horrible thing. David French, I think, then replied on Twitter that, um, you know, Amari should be more tolerant and, you know, sort of um, less uh, aggressive about these questions. And uh, that's what started the ball rolling. And, and the, so Amari's point is that really conservatives have been losing the cultural war and the political war because they are always sort of fighting, fighting on the back foot. And that's exactly right. That, yeah, that they are, you know, sort of... Um, begging for mercy from their enemies or seeking tolerance from their enemies as opposed to actually being in charge themselves and being able to dictate the terms of, you know, uh, on which uh, the culture war is going to be fought. There's a sense in which the conservatives are always uh, fighting a rearguard action 
and they're steadily losing over time. And David French thinks that there's still enough sort of honesty within the liberal system that you can, um, you know, you can go to the courts and get a fair, fair hearing. You can persuade people in the culture as a whole. Whereas Amari really thinks that um, liberalism has become very aggressively uh, anti-Christian and anti-conservative. And may I ask you where you side on this debate? Well, I share Amari's view that there is a greater need for conservatives to fight and to be more, you know, willing to confront the cultural drift of the country in a more direct way. I do think that, you know, there's something to be said for the idea that, yes, the uh, legal system is not uh, completely something to write off at the moment. You don't have to be sort of hostile and uh, sort of grumpy about every sort of, uh, you know, uh, provocative thing that happens in the culture. But in general, I think, you know, both uh, both Amari is correct that you need to fight harder. And also he's correct that um, you need to make alliances, uh, you know, uh, even if it comes to supporting someone like Donald Trump, that probably sort of Amari had been very critical of, in fact, back in 2016. There's a sense that at least he's got the will to, um, you know, sort of stand up for, for something, whereas uh, too many conservatives have been drifting along with the culture. And there was uh, quite a few people accused Amari of uh, Amari's argument of having a whiff of fascism about it. I know it's very easy to sort of throw the word fascist at somebody, but it's certainly true that he was arguing for a state supported by conservative values imposing its will on the public more. Is that not true? I don't know if he would say necessarily imposing its will on the public, but rather actually reflecting the public's own views. Uh, there's a sense in which elite opinion is not reflective of what you know the majority of Americans believe, and it's elite opinion that actually is enforced upon Americans through you know uh, cultural power and also through uh, the courts. So Amari is really arguing that um, you know the the more traditional you know sort of populist, nationalist, Christian, conservative, right-leaning elements in the country um, should be able to you know sort of fight back and and even, uh, you know, sort of win their battles. And here we're talking not so much about party politics, but we're talking about uh, cultural issues like abortion, uh, gay rights and transgender issues. That's right, yeah, although it will, of course, have a political uh, corollary. And again, I think a lot of this is, in a sense, a proxy war about Donald Trump. David French is a very, very outspoken, never-Trump uh, conservative, whereas Saurabh Amari was someone who had been anti-Trump uh, you know, three or four years ago, but who's actually come around to supporting Trump because he likes this fighting spirit that Trump has shown. He likes the fact that Trump, you know, stood up for Brett Kavanaugh, for example, in last year's Supreme Court hearings. He sees Trump as actually delivering the goods for Christian conservatives. Yes, and it's interesting that they were both initially pretty never Trumpy, and Amari seems to have has the who is himself a convert to Catholicism, I think. Has, has the sort of zeal of a convert as far as Trump is concerned. I think that's right. Although also, I mean, Trump really has delivered for much of, uh, you know, sort of the issues that matter most to Saurabh Amari in terms of religious liberty, in terms of, you know, very good uh, Supreme Court justices who are, you know, uh, on the side of uh, overturning Roe versus Wade, as far as we can imagine. All of those things. A nice know, tax cut, too. Well, I mean, I think Amari is less motivated by that. And in fact, his <laughs> economics might even be moving in the opposite direction in some ways. But um, I think, you know, he, he sees Trump as having delivered and uh, David French sees Trump's character as being such that um, no matter what Trump delivers, it'll never be good enough for, for David French. And it's worth remembering that um, or pointing out that David French actually ran, uh, flirted with the idea of running for president. Well, there was this uh, brief moment in 2016 where I think uh, Bill Kristol, who's now the editor of The Bulwark and at the time was editor of The Weekly Standard, suggested uh, David French as a, uh, a good you know, sort of independent conservative candidate uh, as an alternative to um, Donald Trump. I don't think French himself ever had any uh, desire to run for office, but he is you know, symbolically held up as a kind of model anti-Trump conservative. 
Yes, and we're now we're now having to come to terms with the term Frenchism, which is meant to represent, I suppose you'd call it never Trump conservatism. It's never Trump conservatism, and it's also this idea that you know fundamentally the country is still as you know healthy as it ever was, and that it can end, in fact you know some of the superficial battles that conservatives have lost don't matter so much and can be um, refought and won. And that, you know, there's really not a need to shake things up in a very dramatic way. That's Frenchism, whereas Sir Albemarle sees America as having slid pretty far down a path towards sort of elite liberal oligarchy and really being in need of at least the sort of cultural equivalent of a revolution and, uh, you know, a really uh, strong fight. And it's interesting that it seems to have also split along a religious line in that Amari is a, is a Catholic and he was writing this attack on French in First Things, which is a, it's a, it's a Christian but quite heavily Catholic-influenced magazine. And French is very much an evangelical, liberal conservative, I'd say, and, and very focused on the individual and the freedom of the individual. Is, isn't that quite a telling split? It is. You picked up on something important there. And um, certainly the, uh, you know, a kind of evangelical was the model George W. Bush conservative uh, a decade or more ago, whereas now you're seeing there are still, you know, most evangelicals are supporting Donald Trump. But there's this sense in which the, um, you know, sort of intellectual vanguard of, uh, you know, sort of pro-Trump conservatism is coming from a more sort of Catholic and even integralist kind of right wing. And I think there is a, a coalition here. It's not simply that, if, uh, you know, Donald Trump is everything that a, you know, sort of Catholic uh, traditionalist conservative would want. It's rather that Trump's nationalism and the social conservatism that Catholic integralists are most interested in have a certain common ground and they're able to work together and they form a natural coalition and they tend to exclude the more optimistic sorts like uh, David French. Could you go dig a little bit deeper on integralism? Because, I mean, we hear a lot about fusionism, uh, which is, I suppose, the, 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 what, what produces... Frenchism, David French's worldview, which is, and that was a combination of libertarianism and the conservative movement, the more socially conservative movement in in the kind of 60s and 70s and 80s. And that produced the, the conservatism that won in the 90s, right? Well, that's the mythology. You know, fusionism was always intended, actually, by its founder, a fellow by the name of Frank Meyer, who'd been literary editor of National Review, as a philosophical idea rather than just a political coalition. And he was trying to show that traditionalist conservatives and uh, libertarians actually shared a metaphysical and a moral framework. Well, that idea kind of fell by the wayside. And instead, you just had a political coalition of what might be called sort of right-wing liberalism uh, in the Republican Party. And that's been you know, characterized by people like David French on the religious side. It's been characterized by a number of economic conservatives and supply-siders uh, on the economic side and then by neocons in uh, foreign policy. And that coalition, which was the George W. Bush coalition, really came a cropper in the last decade or so. It lost you know, control of Congress, it kept losing the presidency, and finally you needed someone like Donald Trump who could form a very different kind of coalition um, who could actually win. The Catholic integralist element is really, I think, um, you know, largely just an intellectual movement at the moment. It's something you do find in the pages of First Things. It's something you know, a handful of other Catholic intellectuals are talking about in a few other outlets. But um, the idea that America as a whole would become, you know, a, a broadly Catholic nation and would be, you know, uh, take a different uh, attitude towards the relationship between church and state, all of that seems uh, quite far off in the future if it's ever going to happen. But Catholic integralism is a kind of, um, you know, a booster shot, a strengthening of, you know, cultural conservatism at a time when it would be very easy for cultural conservatives to just lie down and surrender and play dead. Yes. And I mean, it is... If, if we see Trump as a sort of rupture in, in the conservative movement, it is 
this 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 sort of the Amari argument does seem to be leading the way and and could be the way conservatives think in 20 or 30 years time. I think that's right. I mean, really what you're seeing here is a renewed sense that there is an urgent battle to be fought. And uh, both uh, Saurabh Amari and the Catholic integralists and also Donald Trump and uh, sort of populist and nationalist conservatives, all of them have this sense that uh, the country is being lost and that a, uh, a desperate battle needs to be fought right now. Whereas David French, I think, you know, while he is, you know, certainly always stands up for the liberties of, of Christians and, and others, he nevertheless has a sense that America is not at a kind of tipping point and is not in danger of being lost forever. Yes. I remember Peter Hitchens once told me that the difference between British conservatives and American conservatives is that British conservatives don't read. <laughs> and I often think of this when I read about these debates because they seem very intellectual and very sort of out of keeping with the British kind of Tory common sense tradition, which is which is not very cerebral. I mean, how much of this argument do you think is sort of while interesting, it's sort of chin-stroking on the right. I mean, I don't assume many voters are very caught up in it. They're not directly caught up in it, but in fact, you'd be surprised. I mean, as you mentioned, these uh, debates are raging on Twitter. There are a lot of, you know, ordinary people who are talking about them. So it does have a little bit of a, uh, a kind of cascade effect, a bit of a, an avalanche effect, where you start off with a few intellectual pebbles, but then further down the road, you might have, uh, you know, kind of a landslide of popular engagement, not particularly on the, you know, sort of really highbrow questions, but simply on the, the key question of how hard do conservatives need to fight? Is this country being lost or is it in fact, you know, still, uh, you know, can we still have a rather uh, complacent, optimistic uh, sort of view? Uh, wh- why do you think American conservatives are more, if, if that's right, that American conservatives are more excited by ideas than British ones? Do you have any ideas as to why that might be? Yeah, I think it's just a function of, you know, sort of democracy and also of the Protestant ethos that America has had since the founding, that, uh, you know, Americans have always debated about religion. They've always been willing to kind of splinter off and start their own new sects. And now that translates even into politics. And of course, there's some irony in the fact that uh, Catholic integralists would have this sort of Protestant political mentality about, you know, uh, sectarianism and splitting off and being a, you know, thing unto themselves. But I think that's that's really part of it, that Americans, you know, they think very much about some of these fundamental principles in religion. Some of them then translate that also into more sophisticated theology. And in politics, you see a parallel to all of this, where people really do feel directly engaged in deciding the future of their country. And then beyond that, they start thinking about it and they start articulating that. And then you get these very uh, sort of sophisticated ideologies popping out of it. And quite an irony that it's Donald Trump, a real estate billionaire who you don't really associate with intellectualism that has that has provided the opening for all this it is ironic but there's a sense in which donald trump has simply discredited the old sort of orthodox establishment and i think that's the key thing here america is a country that has a lot of dynamism and ferment it loves these kind of debates and there was a sense in which conservatism in the george w bush era had become a very stale orthodoxy a, a checklist basically um, something that was so programmatic that it simply had no life in it, and people couldn't engage with it, and they didn't feel as if it really mattered to their lives. Whereas now there's this sense that um, fundamental questions of personal identity and national destiny, that all of these things are tied up with you know, the questions about uh, conservatism and nationalism, and for that matter, sort of the relationship between Christianity and, and the state. Dan, it's fascinating to talk to you as always. All the best and come on again soon. Great. Thanks, Ray. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Americano. If you want to give us feedback about this podcast or any Spectator podcast, uh, you can email podcasts at spectator.co.uk and give us some praise, preferably, or constructive criticism. But rude people 
can go away. 